When I was a child, I was sent away in the summers to Episcopal Church Camp in Massachusetts, where I grew up. It was a camp in those days called Camp Bement, but has now been quite appropriately named, renamed um, after the late uh, Barbara Harris, our first ever African-American uh, bishop um, in the Episcopal Church. Uh, and there's a song that we would sing in chapel there that goes like this, and if you know it, please sing along and I will ask for your forgiveness in advance for my voice. I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-L-Y. <laughs> and I have joy, 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 joy deep in my heart. Deep in my heart. Deep in my heart, and I have joy, 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 deep in my heart, deep in my heart today. These people know this song. <laughs> <laughs> that song, I think, really calls, is called to mind when we think about the gospel today. We often think about the joy of Christianity, and certainly at the end of the, the scripture, uh, we're seeing the joy the disciples are feeling, that they are reunited with Jesus, uh, they're being set on their path. If there had been doubt in their mind about would he come back and appear to them in Galilee as he had promised, uh, it's been put to rest. So that effusive joy and relief that comes of being a Christian. But there's another part of Christianity that we don't talk about as much and is earlier in that gospel reading, which is the idea that being a Christian and truly following Christ is really a hard and rocky path. And that part of faith is that you're believing in something which seems preposterous. There has to be that willing suspension of disbelief when it comes to this idea of faith. And early in the scripture reading, we're seeing perhaps the disciples being pulled along into doubt about what was next for them and would Jesus return. In doing so, they were calling out in some ways for a return to normalcy and ritual. They went back, of course, to jobs they had had before as fishermen. And even though they perhaps were beginning to uh, doubt and to wonder what was next, when Jesus comes to them, there's a sense of his abundant and infinite love and forgiveness that perhaps they were starting to turn away. And trust, not trust that they were always going to be able to do the right thing, but trust that they were always trying to do the right thing. The dynamic between Peter 
and Jesus is so powerful in the gospel that Father John read. We know Peter's had a rough time of it since the crucifixion and the resurrection. While he had witnessed the empty tomb, he and the other disciples all know that it had been Peter who had publicly renounced Christ three times before that rooster had crowed. And as scripture tells us, when that rooster crowed, Peter didn't just cry, he wept bitterly. You can almost picture him weeping almost hopelessly, that this was his moment to stand by his Lord, and he had simply caved in and given in to his fears. I grew up on a farm with a rooster, so I can imagine and see it, that dim morning light, and the rooster's decisive, sharp, confident announcement of mourning and verdict on Peter that he had not been capable to show up for Jesus. Jesus, of course, had prophesied that this would happen. He had said to Peter, just before the Last Supper, Satan will sift you like wheat. That your faith in me isn't as strong as you think it is. But Jesus went on to say, Peter, even though that may happen, I'm praying for you and praying that you will make the right decision, even though maybe I'm not really that sure that you will. In fact, when we look at Jesus' last days, it really was a time for him where everybody that had been saying to him, Lord, I got your back. It's you and me, Lord. We got this. Think about our patron, St. Saint, Saint James, right, who was saying to God, hey, you know, in the afterlife, Jesus, uh, uh, am I and my brother going to be up there with you as executive vice presidents of heaven? Right? When, when things were going well, the apostles were all there for him. And then everybody scatters, and he's on his own. And when we read scripture in those days before Easter, the sense of Jesus' loneliness comes through. And even when he's on the cross, well, at the end, he accepts this needs to happen. He even calls out to his father, even you've abandoned me. There was a lot of pain he was feeling there around this idea that he didn't have a team of people who were behind him ready to go out and be happy warriors. Nonetheless, when he shows up there in Galilee, he is so filled with joy to see them and to call to them from the shore, hey guys, it's me. I'm back. I told you I'd be back. And you're my family and you're the only people I could think of that can help me build this wonderful church. He doesn't show up and cross his arms and say, awkward, where were you all? He doesn't recount their, the fact that they had really abandoned him. He's just so filled with joy and forgiveness at seeing them. It's a real moment of grace, isn't it? Over at the school when the kids get into a particularly uh, feisty match over handball, some of you who are St. James parents remember those days of the, of the, of the kids sometimes tussling uh, over the handball court, where they make a bad decision, we often talk to them in a restorative justice approach of grace, and we define it by Grace is about being kind and understanding 
to the person you least want to be kind and understanding to. And we see Jesus showing this grace when he shows up there in Galilee. Everything else is forgotten. He's just ready to start building this church, and this is the only team he can think of that can do it. He's so filled with faith in them, even though they haven't given him a lot of reason to believe that he can trust them again. I think about that as we look at ourselves in modern day. The span of time between the resurrection, the miracle of the fish, it's a good parallel to where we are between Easter and the start of Advent. It's pretty easy and fun to be a Christian on Palm Sunday. We've got our palms. Even on Good Friday, it may be gloomy and sad, but we know Easter Sunday's just around the corner. We've got new shoes, a new blazer to wear to church, maybe a carnation. We're going to have a great meal afterwards. The Easter bunny's going to come and bring chocolate and jelly beans for the kids. It's joyful. But what about that time after Easter? Disciples have trotted back to Galilee. <clears throat> Where do we trot to? What are we doing in that time between Easter and Advent? I see my good friend, Senior Warden, warden uh, Arnold Blanchard in the back there. Uh, I've been a Senior Warden myself, and Arnold, is it fair to say, as you know, Senior Wardens look forward to Easter season and Christmas season because pledge income goes up and non-budgeted plate income goes up. It's a wonderful thing. But then that non-budgeted plate income kind of declines after Easter until the fall. So where are we in those times of waiting? Are we in Galilee? And if we are in Galilee, are we there with our go bag and our Bible, ready to drop everything and follow Christ when he calls? Or are you a little bit like me where we say, I think I'm ready to follow and drop everything, but I just ordered something on DoorDash and I really want to watch the last season of Ozark, and then I think I'm ready. I think about St. Augustine, who said, you know, Lord, fill me with uh, patience and charity, but just not yet. It's certainly difficult to give up your entire life, throw it all aside, and live on faith. Even while Jesus was alive, as I mentioned earlier, we saw that they were regularly stumbling. But I love this idea that part of being a Christian isn't about achieving consistently, always doing the right thing, always doing what the Bible tells us, but that much of the journey of being a Christian is the trying and failing. I think about Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football, and I think of that as Jesus with the disciples and Jesus with us. In that analogy, not a particularly distinguished analogy, I apologize, but of the idea that we're kind of like Lucy. We're always, unfortunately, going to fall short and let Jesus down. But the wonderful thing is, he doesn't say, oh, good grief, like Charlie Brown does. He always forgives us with enthusiasm and joy and invites us back, just as he did with the apostles. 
Jesus knew those apostles would have had very human emotions. They would have been very scared while they were waiting for him in Galilee. After all, the Romans would torture and execute the early Christians and all of their families. So they had every reason to be grappling with some trauma. And yet when he returns, so filled with the plans for the church and so filled with forgiveness, it infuses in all of the apostles not just a sense of wonder, but a sense we are able to do this. In other words, if Jesus had come back to the apostles and said, you really let me down, I'm really angry and disappointed in you, and I don't want it to happen again, I wonder would we have had a St. Peter and a St. James, both of whom are martyred, of course, for Christ, but that moment of forgiveness and of you're the only ones to take this church forward, Jesus leaning into grace, that's what makes our church possible. As I close, I, I think a lot about a, a statement Mother Kate often says, which is one of the challenges we have of Christians, of course, for all of us, is trying to walk in someone else's shoes. And you probably have heard her say this, this idea of if someone's giving you a hard time, it's just Jesus in one of his many disguises. What would it look like if we approached our world in Los Angeles as Galilee and, and that we're waiting for Jesus to come back and we don't know what disguise he's going to appear to us in? Can we lean into that? And this idea of whether it's somebody who's given us a hard time on the 405 or that we're, uh, we're, we're stuck in line at Starbucks, or have to having to listen to an extra long homily on Sunday morning, that we can center ourselves and say, oh, this moment might be the moment where Jesus is trying to come into my heart and is trying to really come into my life. Amen.